Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Found Consulting. Good morning, Karen. How are you? I'm good. Good to be back. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, I'd love to have you back from doing study the week before, and that's once a month you're going to be doing this, isn't yes, it? Yes, once a month in LA. Whether you're 64 members of your cohort doing a master's. 67, but yes, but they're a good bunch. I've had a lot of fun, a bit intense data analytics. If anyone's into that, I that's a bit confronting, but otherwise great. Yeah, I can spell data. <laughs> Actually, I probably can't this morning because Karen and I had dinner last night. We don't always do that the night before no, production. No, it's nice too. It was, it's been ages. Yeah, it was good fun. But yeah. um, I think I drank more of the wine than Karen. I'm feeling a little bit dusty this morning. <laughs> okay, let's jump into some, some legislative change that's happening because I think there is some pretty exciting stuff that's happening. Exciting in the sense that it's happening. I don't think people understand how much risk that's going to create, particularly in Victoria with the two changes around when a regulator can issue a prohibition notice mm. and also what is a serious incident. Now, the prohibition notice now, which has always been, the key words were imminent risk mm-hmm. of serious harm or damage, yep. the word imminent risk has been taken away. Yeah. Now, I guess, Karen, when we're dealing with regulators, you and I always say don't let safety people deal with the regulator because yes. they have the knowledge of the risk. But this means a real rethinking because everything can be a serious risk of injury or death. Yeah, absolutely. So tripping hazard can be a... It could. So rule one is don't piss off the inspector at that stage because they're just going to close your business down and then you've got to appeal the process. So you've got two days of that production. Yes. So think about this and go, how do we create, and I know you and I keep talking about, how do you create the relationship with the inspector without the risk of over-disclosure? But if you get it wrong and you provoke it, you're going to get them issuing a prohibition notice and it cannot be lifted except by them or through an appeal against the process. Yep, as if you can get them on site. That's right. Yep. So big change, serious incident that has included things like COVID, but it's also included silicosis and it's changed its definition. Now, Nina's going to put together a fact sheet for us on both of those, mm-hmm. which we'll get out to you pretty shortly. But I want you to understand the first one, the prohibition notice, is a very big change. Yep. The serious incident is also really important. So learn it. You're going to have to change your policies around that because all your policies describe what a serious incident is yep. and it's no longer right. Yep, there's that. And also from, from a workforce point of view as well, what are the grumbles and the complaints and the concerns and issues that your employees are talking about that um, whether or not you think it's a serious issue or not or a serious hazard or not, this is not a time to ignore that because if they feel that it's serious enough, and Andrew, anything could be serious enough yeah. now, right, you need to engage your people and support them. Yeah. So, look, please, I think what Karen and I are going to talk about the rest of the day is engagement as a, as a yeah. key issue. Safety has always been an engagement process. Mm-hmm. All this is telling you is that engagement process goes directly to your employees first, but then the third parties who could affect your environment, one of them is the inspector. So mm-hmm. think about it. Uh, Victorian sick leave for casual workers, contract workers and self-employed people is coming through. There's nine categories of quite vulnerable worker applies to. It's a two-year scheme. It's got nothing to do with employers, by the way. Yeah. These people apply within 60 days of that incident with the relevant proof to government and we paid minimum standard wage. It's exciting in the sense that it's happening, but what it really is is acknowledgement by this government following the, the gig report that came out a year and a half ago that there is a changing profile of the Australian workforce, which are unprotected. 
Yeah. The likelihood of having a federal Labor government soon, I would guess, is greater than 50%. We've got now got a number of Labor government states. You've got a union who's completely exhausted everything they've ever asked for since the 1990s. The next thing is going to be around the protection of gig-based workers, whether they're self-employed, contractors or casuals, and how this unprotected group are protected, and Australia have always done that through the introduction of federal law. Yeah. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say to you is get your engagement methods right, recognise this world is going to change very rapidly and start structuring your workplace design to limit the levels of risk and cost around the engagement of people because it's coming and this is all this is is a precursor to what's going to come from all governments about protecting these workers. And I know at the moment, like you, I think you mentioned, mentioned nine sectors, Andrew, but um, I think the government have indicated that that will expand. It will expand. And I think what they've only done it for two years and that's really to build a case. Yeah. The purpose of that is to have evidence to say, look, these are unprotected workers. The government shouldn't wear this responsibility. Employers or hosts should wear this responsibility. If you have a look at how the world's changed, just, just look at things like labour hire protection across Australia has changed. Just look at the way governments are gradually saying, no, employers have a positive obligation, we're going to enforce this, we're going to grow that obligation because the traditional method of employment is no longer viable mm. in its real sense. So in two to ten years' time, the gig economy is really going to take over 50% of the workforce. Mm. So traditional methods of employment are going to go. Yeah. And so governments are going to start introducing protection. So I want you to think about that, about the makeup of your workforce, how you utilise it, what you do, because it's not only going to be a cost, it's going to be more regulated. Yeah. Anyway, look, that's just a, wouldn't the 25% loading access be double dipping? Look, it's a really good question, isn't it? But that's okay for casual, but not for contractors, okay? Mm. And it's certainly not okay for small business people, single owners. So you're right, it should do it, but the 25% loading is really going towards holiday pays and things like that as well. But great question. Last thing is the Western Australian legislation, WHS legislation, is 31 March, is mm -hmm. kick-off date. There's three sets of regulations behind it. Really, Western Australia has really dragged its heels. It was meant to go through at the start of the year. I know COVID's difficult, but it doesn't stop parliamentarians passing legislation. What's surprising about it is so little of the regulatory support that it sits around other WHS is in there, so mm -hmm. that's that's disappointing. There's not great code support that sits behind it, but quite clearly industrial manslaughter is there, so is you can't insure against penalties. So mm -hmm. remember we've talked in three jurisdictions and it will be across Australia shortly. You won't be able to insure against penalties. That's in there, so 31 March Western Australia is on board and therefore there's only one outstanding state, which is Victoria, which will have different legislation. Isn't that, I think that, that's all great, Andrew. And I think the bit about the um, you can't insure against um, in terms of safety there is something I think really businesses need to understand because depending on what your profit is per year, you could very quickly, depending on how well you're managing safety, what kind of issues you've been dealing with in the past and the type of trouble you've been getting into, could actually um, damage your business. Yeah, you know? oh, look, it could if you, we've got a case down here a bit lower, but, you know, $250,000 fine for a, a $1 million turnover business, $1 million profit business. So it's $750,000 you get down to. But the reality is to replace that revenue at 10% margin is $2.5 million for $250,000 fine. That, that's quite the a, impact. But yeah, people don't understand that this is just not about safe. This is just good business. Yeah, There's is. a commercial case behind all this. 
Now, we're, we're getting behind because we've already started our rants and we promised we wouldn't, that okay. we shouldn't have been drinking last night. <laughs> okay. uh, Car and Workers' Compensation Regulator, a case which tells us more about the jurisdiction of workers' compensation, which is its, its inability to understand other law well, mm-hmm. is a case where a very senior worker said, you've laid off a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people have left. I've increased my burden of work. I'm not coping. The business came in and said, you're right. They investigated. They changed the work practice. It was a workplace design issue. Yeah. She eventually brought a claim. At first instance, the regulator, the story of the insurer said, no, there's reasonable, manage- reasonable management action. That was appealed. The regulator said, no, there was reasonable management action. Came on appeal to the tribunal. The tribunal said, no, it's too little, too late. Mm. Cases, let's not get caught up in the case because it's not that, not that flash. But in Victoria, remember, workers' compensation looks towards other legislation to determine what is reasonable management action. We now have a positive duty in Victoria. We have a code in New South Wales which is evidence of reasonable practicability throughout Australia. Mm. So when we look at workplace design, which is what the code does in New South Wales, what our regulations do here, you know that you're burdening someone because someone's left and you're giving them work you know the obligation is on you to do something about it. And if we look at how the law works in that way, it goes, okay, have I changed, have I impacted someone's workload? Yes, safety safety legislation says significant change in the way someone works, obligation to consult, understand, to do risk assessment. By the way, at that stage, and we'll talk more about it, discrimination law and other things kick in and say if a person has family responsibilities and you change the way they work, that kicks in, mm-hmm. employment law kicks in at that stage and then rolls into, okay, we've made a decision on what we're going to do to protect that person, mm-hmm. then I must consult about the impact it has on them. Yeah. So I want you to understand this case is not that important and it's not, not a well-decided case, but from now on safety law will be a measure around workplace design, that is how I give people work, how I manage their work, as to whether it is reasonable management action. Yeah. So the point is there is that workers' comp, Safety, employment are completely interrelated. And that means HR, safety and workers' comp, what they, must they do? They need to talk. They need to talk. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll go on to the next case, which is I only want to briefly mention there is a case called Caledonis, which is a charging. There's not a decision, industrial manslaughter in the Northern Territory. It's their first one. But this and other cases that have come out show where the regulators will pursue really high-level charges, and the two places they do is motorised equipment, Mm-hmm. This is a case of one crane dragging another crane, falling over, a chain breaking and killing someone. But what I want you to understand is motorised equipment and falling from heights are the two guaranteed prosecutions. If you have a death or a serious injury around those things, you will be prosecuted, okay? Because every regulator in Australia says it is at the very top of what they want to prosecute. Yep. So it's at the top of the agenda. So if that's the, any type of work that you're doing at the moment, make sure that you get across this space and put in the right controls. Yeah, if you're going to put it, if you look at your governance report, what is it going to have at the top? Those two things. Yeah. All right, next case, what a great name, Scott Morrison, the, the Australian National University. Not the not Scott <laughs> Morrison that we know because... Not ScoMo. Not ScoMo because he didn't get naked in front of a, an, an employee. Yeah. Uh, sorry, a student. This is a really, I have to be very careful, this is not a well-decided case. No. And it's not that important as a case. Okay? It doesn't create new law. You can get lost in the detail as well in terms of, you know. So let's let's talk very quickly about the detail because we're running behind. Okay. This is a university professor mm-hmm. who at the conclusion of a course, when it had been marked, went to the beach with a student, asked the student, do you mind if I take off all my clothes and go for a swim? 
I don't know about you, but that's a pretty sexual piece of behaviour as far as I'm concerned. I think so, yeah. She said allegedly yes. She says no, but he definitely did it, okay? Now, remember Brigginshaw, the test, balance of probabilities? He definitely did it. They both said he did it, but the intent of why he did it, disputed, okay? Mm-hmm. But you can't tell me that's good behaviour. That's just a different issue. It's then alleged differently that he then, they agree he swam, she came out, hugged him with her legs, kissed, he asked for oral sex, she said no. He then subsequently distanced himself afterwards and didn't want a relationship she continued to pursue. Another past student came up and said, I had a similar experience about him getting undressed and going swimming. Brigginshaw says balance of probabilities, but the more serious the allegations. So this is a, he could lose his job over this. You need to have some independent or solid evidence to support the allegation. What's wrong about this case is the ANU, who is the university, did an investigation where they just threw everything at the wall. So they threw, put all the policies in, they did everything. The one thing they didn't really identify with clarity is this is a position of power and trust. What the commissioner or the deputy president did quite clearly in my mind is look and say you sacked a guy for doing stuff which on any basis there's been some level of consent around the process that existed. Sacking is not fair. I'm going to work. I'm going to look at what's done. I'm going to work out a fair result. Mm-hmm. How she did that, we all have different views, but I don't think it's a particularly defensible method. But the ANU threw policies in, they threw everything, whereas what they should have simply said is in designing the investigation, position of power and trust, where was the equity in the relationship at the time of doing that? It's mm-hmm. no different from a, a partner and a junior solicitor. We train people and say, look, you are going to have relationships with people you work with on a regular basis. This will happen. Yeah. But to senior people, when I train them, say, ensure you build the equity in the relationships so there is a there's a power of quality before you take any more deeper steps, like taking all your clothes off and jumping in the water. Like, get to a stage where anybody looking at you, where the person feels safe to consent to doing something rather than feels they need to do it. Yeah. And quickly on this, Andrew, I think having policies around on this particular area of relationships is not fully effective because, like you said, it's about establishing a relationship where there is equity. There's, you know, equal parity. So in case anyone's thinking that, okay, so that means if someone's, you know, like a senior person, a junior person can't have a relationship because that's not that's not true. It's not real and it's, it's not, not true. true. Well, yeah. so many relationships come from work or school, right? Yeah. So to pretend that that doesn't exist is just silly, right? It's a matter of how do you demonstrate that there they are respectful relationships and that has been formed over time. And the, and the person, the lesser power, has genuine agency. Yeah. Otherwise, anyway, so look, it's, yeah. it's an interesting case, not a great decision, really poor investigative strategy that was adopted by ANU, really poor application of Brigginshaw, if at all, and yet it would have been so simple. If they had adopted Brigginshaw in a proper way, they would have come out with a reprimand mm. and training, and that would have been the right result. Instead yeah. of that, they felt they had to throw everything and they chucked the guy out. His behaviour may be all sorts of things, but the evidence just wasn't there. Mm. Let's jump on because we are so late today about this issue we've talked about a lot and that is people starting to come back to work and now directions are being given to return to work based on 50-50, 60-40, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you remember last week, um, Karen Wayne, because she was too busy studying, we, we, we talked about safety law comes in at a place where it says you're about to make a decision that could affect someone, so I need to do risk assessments. Let's be very candid about what's happened over the last two years, is that employers have been aware that employees are changing the way they live and behave. I'm going to go and live three hours away. I'm going to take over primary responsibility of the children because my partner is a nurse and 
that allows him or her to work a full time because I can now look after the children during the day. These changes are condoned changes that we've accepted. And we think we can make a decision on the 1st of April that says, and now you come back to work this amount of time. And the person goes, but I can't find childcare. I can't do these things. So just have a look at that. There's discrimination, isn't there? Because there's protected attributes that we could have been condoning during that time. Yes. We might have been saying, no, look, we are definitely going to be coming back. Be aware of that. Please don't do anything that you can't change. Mm -hmm. Well, then we'd be fine, wouldn't we? Like yes. Cosmer and Qantas and saying this is a return to work program. And yes, you're going to be doing all sorts of jobs for a period of time. But if we want you to get back to your job, mm -hmm. is the same way we should be treating return to work yes. during COVID. So I just want to put it out there. That's before you make a decision. Discrimination and safety laws sit there. Once you've made that decision, the consultation obligations under award and under discrimination continue to prevent the impact, of that, to mitigate the impact on the actual individuals. When someone's moved to Algeria and they work in Melbourne, you say you've got to come back three days a week, I don't think so. It's not going to be easy, is it? Mm. Now, the law is, the contract says you work in Melbourne. We've told you you're going to have to come back and work in Melbourne. You've moved to Mildura, it's not really our problem, but we're going to give you a period of grace to actually find methods around it, and that's why the individual consultation is so important. But as you say, when we were having coffee downstairs recovering from last night, I was sorry, consultation seems endless, doesn't it? It is. Yeah, it does. So okay. what Andrew was saying um, just a moment ago there, so in terms of getting employees, so in terms of dealing with reluctant employees coming back to work, we've talked about this before, okay? So I just want to revisit in a single diagram for you that, consider the safety aspects in terms of your risk assessment, okay? So once you're clear in terms of what those hazards are, what those controls need to be, what the changes need to be in order to make people safe or safer, you go to the consultation part. So in terms of the consultation part, explaining to people, consulting with people, obtaining feedback in a way that's genuine, considering that feedback, and it's not necessarily a group, it's an individual piece because people's circumstances are different, okay? And then from there on, you can execute it. But execution comes down to clear communication in terms of, well, why, why do we have to come back to work? What's the benefit? Why is it important? But the engagement part of it, Andrew, it all comes back to engagement, yeah? So, and with that, the other thing is transitioning. Like you said, it may be if you are coming back from Mildura because that you've made that decision, you know, in terms of we might, give, we might give you a bit more time to transition versus someone who lives, who hasn't kind of made that decision, right? Yeah. So, it's not a, a one solution for everyone, um, and I think that's really foolish if that's the approach, but consider, understand that it's, it's complex because it involves so many different people with completely different circumstances, and if you keep that in front of mind, you'll be much better in terms of getting people back on board. Yeah, uh, look, I, I think the idea is it always sounds like a lot of consultation, but in mm. fact it's just good leadership. Absolutely. And the other part is when we go to make a decision, we actually do want to engage people in a process and if you don't engage people correctly in it, there's positive duty around psychosocial health mm. and the code in New South Wales and the FIFO code in Western Australia. All that is a saying, what is reasonably practical except for in Victoria where it's not reasonably practical, it's a specific duty. If you're not being given clarity around this decision-making, you're creating an unsafe workplace design because what people crave is certainty. Mm -hmm. So if I just go, look, oh, you're coming back and you've got to be out three days a week, and you go, well, what does it mean? How does that work for me? And I don't actually do anything about it. And I create pressures on the way I live to come to work, the responsibilities I have to forego at home. And I try. That's actually workplace design when you land at work. Mm. So it is the very thing that the regulations of Victoria are designed to protect. So can you please get this right? 
prior to decision making, get the right structure and strategy, talk about it accurately with people and then consult as you implement Mm -hmm. so people feel engaged and have that transition process that makes them feel safe but they understand where their responsibilities lie. Then you don't have the psychosocial risk. We'll have a few battles with difficult people, yeah. but generally people go, no, I totally get this. But it's not going to be about returning to work, Andrew. It'll be something else that's happening at work. So get good at doing this. Yeah. yeah. All right. Home is now the workplace. How do we mitigate the hazards aside from the workstation? Peter, really good question. We've got a, you've actually got a, a template we can utilise with that, but the answer is what we've got to do is look at home. What are the stresses that are brought to bear? And we're entitled to ask and inquire about that. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about the normal insurer in Hill where a husband killed his wife who worked during working hours and got a dependency claim up in workers' compensation. The liability of working from home, reasonably practical, is not as intense as it is mm-hmm. inside the workplace, but it still exists. I must identify all hazards, I must determine their level of risk, and I must institute controls. We so, can uh, send that template to you, Peter. We'll get it out to you. Okay. Let's go on because we've got our problem for the week, our case study. All right. Here we go. Amelia is a team leader in the data processing DP team at Sunshine Technical Information Network Cabling, Stink. He works flexibly as the primary carer for his two children, aged three and six, managing school and kinder drop-offs and collections. Stink has several major projects which need to be mapped out by the data team with a lean expert. The initial process will take one week and the implementation will need the team to work closely together over the next 18 months. Matilda, the operations manager, spoke to the CEO in January about a safe return to work. In early February, Matilda did a risk assessment, identifying distancing, masks and a number of other controls. She suggested a 50-50 return to work from 1 March to the executive team and her proposal was accepted. Two days later, Matilda sent out a memo explaining how each area of the business would return to work. The DP team were to work on a two-week cycle of Monday and Tuesday in week one and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in week two on repeat. All team members would need to work full-time during the lean mapping process and at the startup and delivery of the major implementation projects. Well, that four-syllable word in, I knew it at work. Emilio spoke to Matilda and said he couldn't do it because of his family responsibilities. Matilda responded that it was his choice, but he needed to understand that it was a lawful and reasonable direction and a failure to comply would lead to the termination of his employment. Okay. So, interesting set of facts though, isn't it? We've covered, uh, we've covered it all in our chat earlier. I think we have. We've given some hints, hints around some what it is. Some pretty big hints. <laughs> <laughs> it shows how easy it is. Imagine this is the head of your head of your team doing the key thing and you've managed to get them offside. What does that mean for data implementation? Yeah. Like it's a problem, isn't it? So yeah. when we talk about leadership, forget about the questions and some. What type of leadership is that? Yeah. Unilateral enforcement of decisions, no matter how good, without proper consultation. Are really difficult. Yeah. All right, we're getting close to the end of our time, so let's start talking about what the first question is, which, which is, what is was it a lawful and reasonable direction? So we're doing a few different things there. That's good such paying, paying back on Karen. For that. <laughs> so what is the source of law? To be a lawful and reasonable direction, can, after the risk assessment process, can you make a decision? Yes, you can. So that part of it, Imperfectly, a lot has been done by Matilda. Mm-hmm. The next question is, was there consultation? No, there was none. And therefore, it's not lawful, okay? So because the law does require consultation for particularly award-based employees, and there were award-based employees in this group, mm-hmm. and therefore it's not lawful. You don't even get to reason, not lawful. Mm-hmm. The question is, was it reasonable? Well, it's certainly not because there had been an acceptance of practices of working from home 
which meant people were allowed to rely and unbeknown to them, suddenly the world changed and they did have family responsibilities. They couldn't change like that. You can't just put kids in childcare. Mm. So, no, it wasn't a law from the reasonable direction. So he couldn't be terminated, is a short answer, based on that. Okay. What he could do is go through a consultation process and give a transition stage, and if he didn't do that, yep. then it would be a lawful and reasonable direction. Were, I'm not sure this is a very good grammar. It was me who drafted this. Were family responsibilities a protected attribute in this case? Really difficult question because what we don't know is what the level of acknowledgement and condemnation of Emilio looking after his children and whether he understood this would all change at some stage. Okay? Now, if what Emilio knew, knew is this was always going to change and he could choose to do this but it's not something he could rely upon in the future, then it's unlikely it was a protected attribute because his underlying job had not changed. Yeah. He had an opportunity to enjoy but it wasn't a part of his employment that permitted it on an ongoing basis. But if the business lacked clarity around that issue, knew that he was doing it, which they did in this case, know he was doing it and knew that he was relying on it, he wasn't a consistent capacity to look after his family forever and a day. Yeah. But it means the failure to transition would be a breach of the family attributes. Okay? Does that make sense to everyone? Now, the issue, next one is if Emilio was stressed and became unwell, could he bore a successful workers' compensation claim? So let's go back to our law. Remember, workers' compensation is just is a pair of glasses that mm. you put on to look at what is the legal rubric of lawfulness around you. In other words, what is reason as a question of law. In safety terms, there was a risk assessment process. So the beginning that we start with, yes. Mm -hmm. In discrimination terms, the failure to create a transitionary process was not reasonable, okay, because we knew he had these kids. Yeah. We didn't give him any warning about what we're doing. Again, just a couple of days to suddenly change how his children. It's pretty scary, isn't it? You suddenly see what I'm saying? Like there is this discrimination claim. Mm. He has a very good adverse action claim for the direction he was given, by the way, mm. even though he hadn't been terminated at that stage because you don't have to be terminated to yeah. bring an adverse action claim. So workers' comp's going to say, no, it's not reasonable to require a person. That, if it impacts him and it will impact the parent trying to manage what's happening and it becomes a psychological injury, winner of a claim because it's not reasonable management action. Remember, reasonable management action has two parts. Was it fair to make the decision you made here? Man, no. Was it done in a fair way? Man, so on both tests of what is reasonable management and their aggregation, they're not separate. Yeah. It fails. I so, think that's the key, Andrew. Understand how they're related in that way because to look at them, treat them as isolated requirements is wrong. Yeah. Now, Alistair's asked a really good question is, if the direction at the beginning was done as a temp, said this is clearly temporary, mm -hmm. yes, that's good, and that's where Cosmo and Qantas comes in, Alistair, which says, you know, in a return-to-work process, which is um, similar to what we're dealing with, if you say, look, you're going to do these other jobs, but it's always temporary and it's designed to get you back to here, then if a person's not fit at the end of that, then they're not fit for the original job, that's Cosmo. In this case, by saying, look, it's temporary, Enjoy the benefits of being temporary, but always understand at some stage we're going to come back to work in some in some manner, mm -hmm. and that's constantly communicated, then Alice is absolutely right. Yeah. The difficulty is it doesn't matter if you do all that and then you fail to consult and transition because that triggers discrimination law, it triggers safety law, and, and it triggers employment law, which all triggers workers' compensation. And a claim like this for a $10 million REM business is around about a $500,000 hit on premium anywhere in Australia any day of the week. So it's big. Yep. Okay, guys, that's it. Lovely for your questions. 
keep giving us your feedback. I think Karen and I have survived. It was a great bottle of French white we had last night, and I'm, you know, I'm a bit shaky, but I'm good. <laughs> Love to see you again. See you, see next you soon. Week, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye.